0: Telling the world of the treasure we found. This morning, we're beginning a new sermon series, A Wider View of God. God is the treasure. The kingdom of God is the treasure that we have found. Many times in the Gospels, Jesus tells stories, parables of the kingdom of God, and always the kingdom is something that's so wonderful and great that a person will give up anything to find it. The kingdom of God and life in the kingdom of God together is the treasure that we have found as God's people. And so in this sermon series, we are celebrating that not only all of us get to participate in life in God's kingdom, but that each of us as individuals has a unique and beautiful view or perspective into the character of God and life with God in his kingdom. As individuals, none of us can see God completely or fully, but each of us can know some part of God, and together, we can know God more. So if we want to know God, we need two things. First, we need to seek him ourselves, but second, we need to pursue him alongside of people who are different from us, different in all kinds of ways, people from a different ethnic group. From different genders, different generations, different socioeconomic groups, different abilities. And this means, of course, people with different perspectives as well. The more diverse our community, the wider view we have of God. And so as Canada becomes more diverse and as River Park Church becomes more diverse, differences can sometimes feel like a threat. We're tempted to wonder, why don't other people behave as I behave? Or why don't other people care about the things that I care about? Or why don't other people join me in what I'm doing? Over this series, Pastor Harrison and I are interviewing diverse, interviewing, I know how to speak. We're interviewing diverse members of our congregation and we're asking them three questions. Which person of the Trinity do you feel closest to? What characteristics of God are most important to you? And can you share a story of the gospel, or can you share the story of the gospel, the good news, in a few sentences? Unfortunately, this sermon series has to end at some point, so we can't interview all of you. But I encourage you uh, to think about those questions. They're in the weekly email. I can share them with you if you want to reflect on them more. And even for those of who we are interviewing, just about seven people or so, we're not even going to be able to share everything that they say. Because those questions offer so much richness and depth. And so to you as, you, as you listen this morning, as we enter into this series, this will be from now and continuing through uh, right up until before Advent. I just want to acknowledge and recognize that when we hear other people's perspectives, you may not see things the same way. And that is the point. But ask yourself, what does this person know about God or see about God that I do not? How can I learn from her? How can I learn from him? How can I appreciate them for what they see? And so this, we're often going to do this either via video or just reading the person's answers if they're uncomfortable with video. Uh, But we might even have one or two people join me up front or join Pastor Harrison up front. There'll be different ways we do this. But this morning, uh, we're going to start with a few words via video. This is a recording from Monique. Monique was the chair of leadership council here at River Park for two years until she finished her term this summer. Uh, She's the vice president of student life at Ambrose University. And she's a mother and a wife as well. So let's watch Monique's answers to these questions.
1: The story of the gospel, the good news, is that God created and everything is good. That uh, he called us beloved and he called us beautiful and he called us in his image. Um, That defines us first and then he has uh, ruthlessly and Lovingly and gracefully done everything he could with people to bring them closer to himself. Uh, that God became human and can identify with us as humans, that he went to the furthest extent to show his love for us by giving his life and taking on our sin to eradicate sin, and that he is graceful and faithful to us by equipping us to be part of his big story of redeeming all things to himself. And that all is where I started, which is he is ruthlessly and carefully and lovingly continuing to walk with us uh, towards completion and wholeness. And that is the story of the good news, is we're not alone. And that we're deeply loved, and that God desires to be in relationship with us. Uh, I, I for sure feel the closest to Jesus. Um, I think Jesus is extremely relatable, mostly because Jesus became human. Uh, I think that when I see and experience Jesus in Scripture, I love how i see god and understand god the most important characteristics of jesus to me are his radical inclusivity and his seeking of people who would be considered on the outside and that is how i see god uh, as merciful and graceful and loving and Jesus, even through his stories and through his actions, uh, would seek out everybody uh, to try to bring them into relationship with God. Um, You know, the stories where he um, rebukes the religious leaders, uh, turns over tables and gets angry, I resonate with those because I feel like he is trying to say something also about uh, religious communities and about how we should be radically inclusive and extremely introspective and careful about our own practices before we're careful about others.
0: Monique's words, as I said, are one window into the person of Jesus Christ and the character of God. And so we're going to focus on Jesus this morning, especially the character of Jesus as the one to use Monique words, Monique's words, who has ruthlessly and lovingly and gracefully done everything he can with people to bring them closer to himself. Monique can help us see one aspect of Jesus more clearly. So, Jesus ruthlessly and lovingly bringing us closer to God, that's our focus. So, we're going to open up God's word this morning and we're going to look at Jesus, not just in one perspective, but the perspective that Scripture gives us. Well, invite you to follow along as I read for us, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Actually, verse 2. At dawn in the temple courts, yeah, we're right, sorry. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, "'Teacher!' This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the act. In the law of Moses, in the law, excuse me, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground, at this, those who had begun begun to go, excuse me, at this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So far, the reading of God's word. In this story, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, in other words, the leaders of the community, bring to Jesus a woman caught in adultery, caught in the act. There was no question that she had sinned. These leaders in the community, whom Monique talked about, said, in the law, Moses requires us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Before we continue, I want you to know a little bit about stoning in the Old Testament and in the law of Moses. Stoning wasn't about uh, pelting someone with with, uh, softballs, It wasn't even about picking up gravel and throwing them at a person. In the Old Testament, uh, there's a, a midrash, which was the leader's law and interpretation of the Old Testament laws. And the midrash says that this is how you stone someone. You take the person and you push them off a cliff. That's at least the height of two people, two men. And then you take rocks as big as a man's head and you pile them on top of that person. Even so, violent as stoning was, stoning was not a death sentence. So, stoning often resulted in death, but stoning actually was complete and final ostracization from the community. It was the community saying, even if you're not physically dead, you're dead to us. You don't exist as far as we are concerned. I want you to know what's at stake in this story because Jesus knows what's at stake in this story. What's at stake is the possibility for everyone to be welcome in the family of God. And so Jesus bends down and he scribbles in the sand for a while. There's beauty in this story because I think many ministers and many other sermons that I've heard on this topic get lost here. And they start wondering, what was Jesus writing in the sand? But I think the beautiful thing is that in the midst of this story, where all of these things are happening, Jesus is writing something in the sand, which is his message to the woman. It's not his message for us. We're never going to know. But Jesus, or, or John wanted us to know, that Jesus has a message for this woman, it's the story that's the message for us. The story that is Jesus' message for us and is the gospel writer's message for us. And what's at stake for us is the same as what was at stake for Jesus it's the ability to be a community, the ability to be a part of the family of God. And so when the teachers of the law and the leaders become impatient, just like so many of us become impatient. They push Jesus for an answer. And only when after they push him, then Jesus says, well, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Then something beautiful, another beautiful thing happens. The oldest and the wisest among the teachers of the law and the leaders, the oldest and the wisest, they leave first. And then the younger and the less wise ones, they follow until only Jesus and this woman remain. We live in an individualistic culture, but Jesus did not. In a, in a collectivist culture like the first century Judaism, leaders are the most important people in the community. They're, they're paragons. They're the example of exactly what life should look like. In the first century Judaism, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, their faith was unassailable. Their integrity was unquestionable. They would have shouldered almost unlimited responsibility in their communities. And as a result, their community trusted them with almost unlimited power as well. Their job was to protect those within the community from harm. As a result, Uh, We have laws like, or they had laws like those about leprosy. So someone who has a contagious skin disease is removed from the community in order to protect the community. In short, it was the role of the leaders to be the conscience of the community and to do their best to enforce the perfect law of God. With all of that in the background, these leaders come to Jesus and John tells us what's in their hearts, that, he, that they're testing him. But Jesus' question puts them to the test. To claim to be without sin, right? Jesus says, "The one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. To claim to be without sin is to claim to be God. This is exactly the claim that Jesus makes in the next chapter, when Jesus says, "I know the Father perfectly and fully." The Pharisees later in chapter 8 rightly identify that Jesus is saying that, in, not in so many words, but he's saying that he's God. And so they want to stone him too for blasphemy. But in saying that Jesus knows God as his Father, Jesus claims to be perfect and without sin. These, these leaders, these men, have just refused to make such a claim. They've acknowledged that they too are not perfect. And so in walking away, the wisest among them first, these leaders are silently confessing that they too have not lived up to the law of Moses perfectly. So what about you and me? Where do you lead? Can you follow the example of the Pharisees in this case? Some of us lead in uh, In church, some of us lead in the home, some of us lead among our peers or our friends or uh, in our job. Some of us even have just younger siblings or younger friends who look up to us. Can we do what Monique said and what Jesus did, be radically inclusive and extremely introspective and careful about your own practice before we're careful about others? After the community's leaders walk away, then this story actually gets really good. Jesus asks the woman, has no one condemned you? And she immediately says, no one. No, sir, no one has. Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, you can... Recognize, I think, pretty easily that there's two parts to what Jesus, to Jesus' final words, right? Then neither do I condemn you, he says. And secondly, go now and leave your life of sin. And together, those are the, the way the story ends. So Jesus does two incredible things here. First, he allows the community leaders to save face by following their lead. Jesus doesn't say to the woman, do whatever you want ignored the leaders, it doesn't matter. He says, if they do not condemn you, then neither do I. In doing so, Jesus follows the lead of the leaders in the community, and he leaves this woman under their leadership as their responsibility. She's not free to reject the authority of these community leaders going forward. If she keeps committing adultery, She'll only serve to demonstrate that she alone is guilty, both of sin personally, but also of rejecting and disrespecting the decision of her leaders. Jesus is the only one with the right to ostracize and the right to judge. But he embodies the grace and the truth of the Father he refuses to exert that, his coercive, or what could be coercive power over this woman. He doesn't punish her. He doesn't even force her to change. He simply tells her, go now and leave your life of sin. What comes next is up to her personally. But her leaders remain responsible for their community, and including her. She's not left alone. Alone. Jesus spares the woman this time by offering her the opportunity for a graceful withdrawal. Again, what about us? I think graceful withdrawal is so hard for us. Often we hesitate with conflict, we we, we back away from conflict, but when it comes, we feel we have to follow it through to the bitter end until one of us is proved right or the other is embarrassed and ashamed. Jesus offers the opportunity not just for the woman to have a graceful withdrawal, but also for the leaders to walk away from what they think they had to do. Jesus offers the opportunity for forgiveness and the opportunity to begin anew. Jesus knows that not only this woman, but also these leaders have many responsibilities and burdens. He knows that sin lives in each of their hearts and all of their hearts. We can be sure that this woman and these leaders will meet again, that they did meet again. Jesus knows this. First, The first century community was not a big, massive place. They would see her again. Jesus, knowing this, offers everyone a better way forward. You see, only Jesus can perfectly and fully see this situation and this interaction. When each of us approach it, some of us feel compelled to to follow the directions of the leaders and others of us feel compelled to the situation of the woman. But only Jesus can perfectly balance the radically inclusive love of God and the recognition that all of us, Our sinners, fallen short of the glory of God. Not just for this woman, but for the leaders as well. Jesus is gracious to everyone. He's also very clear about what needs to be fixed. In this, Jesus is wise. We forget about that sometimes. We hold up Jesus as the honorable one, the one worthy uh, of the Father's love. We hold up Jesus as the Savior, the one who died for our sins, but so often we forget that Jesus, the man, the Son of God and God himself, was wise. That we need not just to receive his salvation, but to learn from him, to follow his wise example. We have so much to learn from him. As we reflect together on this story this morning, I invite you to wonder Who went away from this interaction chastened? Who went away emboldened? Wasn't it the leaders who were chastened and the woman who was emboldened? Those at the center of the religious community, Jesus challenges the most. And those on the margins, Jesus welcomes the most. Now, to be sure, there is welcome for the Pharisees into the family of God, and also there is challenge for this woman to leave her sin behind. But Jesus is in welcoming all people. Jesus is welcoming all people into God's family, into closer relationship with God. First, and then secondly, addressing their wrong behavior, whatever it is. So, what about you? what about us? Some of us here are in positions of leadership and power. We know our ways around a boardroom. We've sat in council meetings even here at the church. We've led teams. We're confident. Others of us know life on the margins. We've done something or said something that got us left behind for any number of reasons. Or we've been excluded Just because of who we are, where we moved to, or any number of other reasons. And so any room we walk into, we come tentative, nervous, and worried. What about you? What about us? I think there are two applications today, two questions that each of us needs to ask ourselves that I encourage you to ask yourself. And they're up on the screen behind me. First, what's Jesus calling me to leave behind? And what does Jesus say about me? And second, who am I casting stones at? And what does Jesus say about that person? We have all kinds of ministries and strategies and reports to consider. We have a church vision statement as God's leading for all of us to follow together. But Jesus summarizes the whole law in two sentences. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, as we close, just two things, those two things. First, if you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. And let me tell you, you do not love yourself enough, and you cannot love yourself enough. I don't mean that you don't indulge yourself enough. I don't mean that you all need to go out and get a massage. What I mean is that the love that you require in order to function, in order to be filled, and even the love that you require in order to love others, you can't generate enough of it yourself in order to fill yourself. Some of you, Have been trying for years to feel full. You lead, you achieve, you become busy, you work hard to provide for others, you do so much good, even with good intentions. And yet, still in your heart, you feel you're missing something, you're frustrated or discouraged. Brothers and sisters, until you fully receive and experience the love of Jesus, until it sinks deep into your heart, you will always try to keep doing things your own way. Whether you feel like a leader in this, in this story or feel like the woman. And when you keep trying to do things your own way, you will always come up empty. But to all of us, to me, to you, Jesus offers his love, his wisdom. And he promises that he has made you for his good purposes. The second thing is that you will always cast stones if your desire is to make your neighbor like yourself. You will always cast stones if your desire is to make your neighbor like yourself. But you will build bridges if your desire is to make your neighbor like Jesus. So what are we going to do? Are we going to cast stones or are we going to build bridges? If you want your neighbor to be like yourself, you'll always wonder and question and get frustrated. They'll put a lot of energy into trying to change and guide and redirect other people. Pushing and pulling them in every way. Pointing out the, the speck in their, own, in their eye. And it's there. But if your desire is that your neighbor become like Jesus then you will go out of your way to ensure that the path is clear for them. Because you know the amazing love of Jesus. You know that the love of Jesus is powerful enough and fierce enough to melt the hardest hearts. That the love of Jesus is is stubborn enough to outlast the most difficult person. If you know the love of Jesus, then you know that God desires that all people, would come to a saving knowledge of him, that God desires to welcome everyone into his family and you'll do whatever you can to join him in his work. In other words, or in in one word, the more we know Jesus, the more we are changed. How does knowing Jesus change us? I invite you to reflect on that as we close, but also as we close we're gonna go back to Monique and just hear one answer, one window into how Jesus changes us.
1: I go back to the fact that I am radically loved by God, um, and that grace is sufficient for me. Um, and that uh, I think a really big piece is I. There is a deep source of love for me to be connected, love and wisdom, for me to be continuously seeking to be connected to, and that always desires to be connected to me, that can inform every bit of action in my life and my purpose.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. You are welcome. Let's come to God in prayer. our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are not worthy of your love. From the greatest of us to the least, however we imagine that shakes out, each of us and all of us are beneficiaries of your love reaching out to us. When we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. And now we are here to thank you, to praise you, and to let everyone else know about this wonderful God and this good news that we have received, that we are beneficiaries of, and that we can, the grace that we continue to live in, the family we belong to and the kingdom who we serve. So Father, may your peace and your love Shown to us in Jesus and given to us by your Holy Spirit. May they fill us now. May it be well with our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.